1: Welcome to Spawn, a common sense, generally fun, and hopefully helpful discussion on parenting and parenting culture. Hey, I'm Liz Gumbiner. I'm the co-founder of CoolMomPicks.com. Kristen is out this week, but today I'm really happy to be joined by the incredible Melinda Wenner-Moyer, discussing expert advice on what so many parents are asking, what's the best way to discuss the attack on Ukraine with our kids? She has five simple tips that she'll break down for us, and of course, we'll close out our show with our Cool picks of the Week. So let me tell you a bit about Melinda. You may remember her from episode 247, in which we talked about her wonderful book, How to Raise Kids Who Aren't Assholes, Science-Based Strategies for Better Parenting from Tots to Teens. It was a great discussion. I highly encourage you to listen to it after this one. Melinda is also a contributing editor at Scientific American magazine and a regular contributor to the New York Times, Washington Post and other national magazines and newspapers. She's a faculty member in the science, health and environmental reporting program at NYU's Arthur L. Carter Journalism Institute. And most recently, she wrote a very popular article in the New York Times simply titled How to Talk to Your Kids About Ukraine. So we thought she was the perfect guest to bring back right now to cover one of the questions we know so many parents are struggling with today. Welcome, Melinda. Hi, Liz. It's so good to be back. I'm so glad to have you back. You have been like one of our favorite recent guests, and I'm just so happy to get to talk to you about this. It probably won't be as light a conversation as the last one. (laughs) No. But hopefully just as helpful. <laughs> so, so, you know, I've been writing about this on our site as has our whole team and obviously it's all consuming right now. And several years ago, I had written an article with expert tips on how to handle tweens and teens who were sharing World War 3 memes on social media and how parents can talk to kids about the war and dark humor and how they're using it to cope and how normal it is. And I actually updated it recently since the attack on Ukraine by Russia and I was glad to see you also address that specific issue, but I found your article particularly helpful because you're addressing older kids who have incredible access to media and information, but also younger kids who may or may not know a lot or may have some things wrong. So I just want to jump right in and go through the five expert tips that you gave in the article for talking to your kids about the ongoing situation. And let's elaborate. The first tip that you had was to take cues from your kid. Tell me what you mean by that. Yeah. So it's important to
0: keep in mind that kids can engage with this issue with current events in general in very, very different ways. And I think sometimes as parents, we might assume that our kid is going to you know, feel a certain way or engage with the issue in a certain way because we kind of like project our own feelings and our own fears and our own concerns mm. onto our kids. If your child is talking about this or has questions, what can be really helpful is to step back and like observe what's the the tone they're using. Do they seem really worried? Are they just curious, or are they not really asking you anything? Those are really relevant in terms of like how you're going to talk to them. I also think it's important to say like if your kid doesn't seem super interested. Well, first of all, I think it's important to bring up the topic. Like no matter what, if your kid is school age or older, just to you know touch base um, because kids are probably hearing things. I mean, let's face it, they're almost certainly hearing things from friends, oh, from sure. you know, yeah. right, like from social media, from school. So you know, even if your kid isn't bringing it up, you should in some way. And you can start with something that's like pretty tonally like straightforward and and maybe with the question like, so what have you heard about what's going on in Ukraine or have you heard anything about what's going on? And, you know, just kind of try to keep it neutral. And then based on the response you get, I haven't heard anything, tell me a little bit or yeah, I've heard a little bit, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like you can sort of sense, are they feeling worried or are they just, you know, not that interested or are they really curious, but not, you know, not super freaked out. And not, and we shouldn't, you know, necessarily like judge whatever response they have. It's okay for a kid to not really be that interested or that engaged. It doesn't mean your kid is like a sociopath who doesn't care about others. It's just that kids are going to engage with this sort of thing. It feels very abstract sometimes, you know. So that tip is just really try to like step back and observe your child as you're talking about this to sort of see where they are, how they're thinking about it in order to know like next steps. Like, should I be comforting versus should I just be giving straightforward information, you know, and how much Information to give to you can kind of decipher from how interested and how curious
1: they are. I think that's really helpful. And I think actually that's really good advice for talking our kids about almost any big topic. You know, if you've got a seven year old who's interested in racism, for example, you don't want to give an entire like detailed history of the civil rights movement in the 60s. (laughs) Like there's probably like a different way to talk to younger kids versus older kids and make sure that you're answering their questions as opposed to like all the things you think are interesting. I I like that you pointed out that your kid is not a sociopath (laughs) if they're not that interested. And sometimes being not interested as a way of kind of self-protection or maybe they're just not interested. But I also like that you said it's it's important to bring it up to make sure they know what's going on in the world. So what do you think if you have a teen or older kid who seems to not want to know about it or doesn't want to talk about it, how would you handle that? That's a good question. You know, I think it is important
0: to make sure that they have at least a basic understanding of what's going on. So, you know, once you've asked like, what have you heard about this? If they say, haven't heard anything or I heard a little bit, but they're not saying more, you know, you do want to try to engage just to make sure that they do kind of have the basic facts of it, right? Because it could be that they're not really engaging with you, but yet they've heard something that's not accurate at all. And you kind of, if possible, want to draw that out. And so you can correct any misconceptions. But, you know, once you've done that, if your kids got a sort of basic understanding of what's happening and they're not super interested, then I think what you can do is communicate that you're there if they do have questions that come up, you know, say, look, my door is always open. You might hear more things about this and I'm happy to talk about it anytime. And this is something, you know, I have a 10 year old and this kind of happened with him where I brought it up. He wasn't all that interested. He asked a question or two, you know, and then he didn't really want to talk more, but he brought it back up like the next Mm. day and had a few more questions. And so you just want to make sure that you're communicating like this isn't like a one-time conversation and the only time we could talk about it, but like, this is just an opening and we could talk about this more when more things come up or you hear something at school that's confusing. You know, I'm always here and I'm happy to talk through it. I think that's, you know, an important thing to communicate.
1: That's really helpful. Also, I think by saying, you know, I'm still here, I think that kind of alludes to the fact that this is important and that it's going to keep going and that it's not a one time conversation, as you're saying, that maybe it helps your kids understand like, oh, wait, maybe this was a bigger deal than I had realized, which isn't so bad. But that leads me to the second point, which I'm really glad you brought this up right up front in the article, which is look for signs that your child is feeling anxious. And I think this gets right to our biggest concern as parents, which which is health and well-being of our kids as individuals, but balancing that with wanting them to be involved in the world and care about the world beyond their own schools or communities. So can you elaborate on this, like signs of kids' anxieties? Absolutely. Well, you already brought up that there are social media
0: memes going around saying it's World War III. So there are reasons for kids who are, you know, getting their information through friends and social media to be worried right now, and to maybe have these sort of catastrophic ideas of what's to come. And so you do want to be on the lookout for signs that your kid is anxious, and that—that's the problem with anxiety is it can manifest in so many different ways, um, Mm. depending on the kid. But some common things to look out for, you know, one is like asking the same questions over and over again, Ah. showing this sort of sign of like not being able to stop thinking about something, kind of like ruminating on something. So that is definitely a good sign. Um, but kids can also experience anxiety in a non-vocal way. They might be more irritable than usual. My seven-year-old, when she's anxious, she's just super grumpy and super clingy. They might have trouble sleeping. They might have nightmares. Um, and this you know, could be because they've seen or heard something really scary. And they also might have appetite changes, which may not always be obvious as a sign of anxiety, but that could mean eating not as much or eating more and especially like more comfort foods too. And with that, you can also like have headaches or stomach aches. I mean, unfortunately there's just like a lot of different symptoms of anxiety, but if you're noticing a few of these, that could be a sign that your kid is feeling anxious and you want to, at that point, make sure that you communicate that like you're there to talk. If they have any questions, if they're feeling worried. And another really great way to help manage anxiety is to just rely on routines and structure, like to the degree that you can, you know, if you tend to have a particular Saturday breakfast, like keep having that Saturday breakfast. And if like I read to my seven-year-old before bed, you know, try to just maintain those routines because those provide this sort of sense of control for Mm. a kid. Like the world is really okay right now. I feel safe because we're still, we're doing the things we always do. And that can help alleviate anxiety too. Predictability in an unpredictable world.
1: Exactly. Yes. I love that. That's really helpful. And I think what you're saying also is that as parents, you know, your kids best and you are best able to see if your kid has a change in behavior or something that you're noticing. So I think it's just paying attention, right? Because every kid is different. Absolutely. Every kid is different. For whatever reason this week, I've noticed a big blip
0: in anxiety in my seven-year-old and I'm not exactly sure what it is. But another thing sometimes is they are very controlling about like, you know, they create these rituals sort of. And with her, she's created this new ritual right before she gets on the school bus where she has to kiss me five times. And like, if she doesn't kiss me five times, then, you know, she, has a meltdown and that is also very much a sign of anxiety is like they create this predictability they create this structure themselves that they need in order to feel safe in order to feel comforted and I don't know if it's related to the conflict it could also be we just signed her up for overnight camp and I think she's processing that you know who
1: knows but um, you know masks were just lifted I mean there's a lot going on in kids lives right now yes and so I actually made a note to
0: myself this weekend when I have a little more time to sit down and really try to figure out like what might be at the root of that anxiety like what is nagging at her. And she may not even fully be aware of it, but I'm going to try to through different kinds of questions, get to that and see if I can figure it out. Well,
1: your third tip in the article is not to bombard kids with news or scary images. And I'd like to break this up by age because I think there's obviously a difference between having a younger kid and an older kid. You know, let's say you have a younger kid, like you don't want to bombard them by news or scary images. How do you avoid that? So I think generally, even for older kids, but especially for
0: younger kids, like you don't really want like cable news on in the background all the time when there's a war going on. It's just overwhelming. They might hear things that, you know, are just really, really scary and not, you know, understand the context Context and not understand, like, this isn't right here in our community. Or, you know, I remember I was listening to Aliza Pressman's podcast recently. She's great. She has a Raising Good Humans podcast. And she was talking about how after 9 11, when they showed, you know, the towers coming down, that some oh, yeah. younger kids would see that and think each time they saw it that it was happening again. Like it wasn't a replay. It was like a new set of buildings that were going down and how that was just like incredibly traumatic. So kids just, especially younger kids, they just might not interpret things that they're seeing correctly. And it can just be very, very scary. So just be aware, you know, you, you may not want to have the news in the background with, with especially little kids. And you may not, depending on your teen, if you have a teen who's going to be like triggered by that and feel anxious hearing the news all the time, you may not want it in the background with them either.
1: Yeah, let's talk about older kids because, you know, they're on social media all the time. We don't always know exactly what they're doing, but they have their phones in their hands nonstop. At least my kids do. What if we find our kids are kind of doom scrolling or they're collecting memes into a folder or they're doing lots of image searches? You talked about making good choices. How do you talk to kids about that?
0: Yeah. So I think if you get the sense that your kid is getting scary information from social media or doom scrolling, you you want to start a conversation about that. And I always love starting with questions like, so where did you hear that? Or where are you seeing this? Or you know what kinds of sources are you going to that are giving you this information if they're sharing with you what they're seeing or hearing about? Mm. And then, you know, talk to them about the fact that different news sources can have different biases. Maybe you say like, not everything is totally trustworthy. Um, Sometimes things get exaggerated just so people watch them and it might not be as trustworthy as you think. And, you know, how do you know something is real and how do you verify that information you're getting is accurate and sort of talk through like, how do you fact check it? Like, what can you do to see if that's actually true or not? and how do you know what sources of news to trust? And another thing is just to point them towards sources of information that are going to be more trustworthy. And Common Sense Media, which I love, yes, you know, they have a whole list of news sites broken down by age that are designed for kids versus teens. Like Newsomatic is one, Newzella, where, you know, you can trust that the information they're sharing is not going to be super scary, but it's going to be factual. And they're really just communicating information in an age-appropriate way. And they also give resources for teens like HuffPost Teen and... you know, NPR is another one they recommend. So you can both, you know, ask questions and and get them to sort of think critically about the information that they're seeing. And then also, you know, help them figure out what are some sources that are maybe more trustworthy, maybe a little less fear-mongery that they might want to go to instead.
1: I think that's so helpful. We'll make sure we link all of those resources up on Cool Mom Picks on our podcast page. In fact, we actually have a article, you just reminded me, about news podcasts for kids from preschools to teens that are appropriate. Like the week, Jr. has a podcast show or Wow in the World is really great. NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt even has a kids edition. That's such a smart idea and I hadn't even thought about that. That's great. Yeah, we get the week Jr.
0: And I find, you know, with my 10-year-old, he doesn't always ask questions, but last week he got the week Jr. and it had on the cover, like more about what's happening in Ukraine. And he like grabbed it and ran upstairs. Oh, and so yeah. he really wanted to engage with it was excited to read about it. And I was so happy that that came in the mail and just, you know, gives him the information that he's craving that he may not always come to me for. Yeah.
1: My 12 my year old step kid is absolutely in love with the week junior. So we have like a whole stack of them and then they just tear through them every time they're here. So yeah, that's a <laughs> great point. Plus, you know, I, I just like that you're kind of talking about evaluating trusted sources and talking about fake news and propaganda which is actually a root cause of the attack from Russia in the first place. And so for older kids, I think you're right. It's a great opportunity to even get into that. It's kind of meta, right? There's the correlation between what we're learning and why it's important to know about fake news and then also how propaganda was influencing the Russians' view of how everything is playing out. That's a whole other podcast. We'll do that next time. (laughs) I do want to ask, though, there were a few criticisms in the comments of the New York Times. Do you look at comments? Have you read the comments? Oh, no, I do not. I used to have a tote bag that said, never read the comments. (laughs) (laughs) Well, mostly they were very good and very supportive, but there were a few comments, you know, versions of maybe we're sheltering our kids too much and maybe they should know the world is always at war. This isn't just like some unique thing that hasn't happened in 50 years. And I'm wondering how you respond to this. Like, Mm -hmm. is just this entire topic coddling kids like, oh, we're so nervous to talk to them about war? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. You
0: know, I think there's such a range of parental responses to this kind of thing. I mean, some parents are going to think the best thing is to never talk to their kids about what's going on in the world and I definitely do not agree with that but I do feel like you have to strike a balance because yes you want your kids to be informed and you want to make sure that they're you know getting accurate information and they understand what's going on in the world but you really don't want to be overwhelming them either and some kids just aren't going to handle too much information and you know mm. start to catastrophize or get emotionally overwhelmed and so I really don't think it's a great idea to be completely you know bombarding your kids day in and day out with the fact that there's terrible things happening everywhere. I mean, I think it's too much to process. And again, you know, with the example I gave about the Twin Towers clips, like some kids just also aren't going to be able to recognize, is this a threat to them immediately or not? You know, and if you're constantly saying all these things are happening everywhere, they might start to think, well, they're not safe at all on a day-to-day level. And I don't think that's very healthy. So it is a balance. And it's also, as you said, like, you know, your kid and some kids might be able to process more and take in more and be hungry for more, in which case, you know, I do think there is value to talking about how people can be suffering sometimes and that the world is not a perfect place and that, you know, you have privilege and we have privilege and we can be using that to be doing good and, you know, making sure that they develop some perspective and understand what's going on. But it really just goes back to take the cues from your kid. Like, is your kid somebody who can handle that? And if so, sure. Okay. But if your kid is one who's going to feel really anxious and worried and start to ruminate, then that is not going to be good for their mental health.
1: That sounds reasonable. I think it's kind of like the difference between the throw the kids in the deep end to teach them to swim school of parenting and the like <laughs> step by step, right? Yes. Yes. So your fourth tip in the article about how to talk to your kids about Ukraine is get to the root of their fear. And I love that you point out that kids are likely to be worried by different things than we are. And I think about this all the time. Like as a Gen Xer, we grew up with images of nuclear destruction constantly. And so many people are bringing up like the day after and how much that traumatized them. It, it was not exactly that the film itself traumatized them as much as that plus constant pictures of mushroom clouds on the news every day for our entire childhood. was very overwhelming. Mm-hmm. But interestingly, mm-hmm. I spoke to this young guy I know in the neighborhood and he's freaking out about the draft. He said the first thing he did was look up conscription and what the ages are and whether he could be liable. That's his worry. Mm-hmm. And maybe even younger kids are worried about something more close to home, like they're hearing about gas and maybe they won't be able to afford gas to go to their after school activities. So I like that you pointed out the idea of getting to the root of their fear because kids might be worried about different things. How do we find that out?
0: Yeah, I loved this tip. I got this from Robin Silverman, who is a child and adolescent psychologist. She's so great. And I thought it was so smart. Yes. So sometimes we assume that our kids are worried about one particular thing and it turns out what they're worried about is totally different and something we did not anticipate. I mean, we've all had those moments with our kids where they ask a question totally out of left field and you're like, where did this come from? And how did you even get to that? But yeah, they just have a very different... way of looking at things sometimes and different things that have you know given them cues that sort of lead them down some path. So her advice, and it's really pretty simple, which is just when your kid comes to you with a kind of broad question, like, is this World War III? You don't necessarily take their question at face value and give them the answer you think that you should give them, but instead like ask more questions and like really try to get into what is at the root of this? Like, why are they asking me this? Does it actually represent some kind of very specific fear that they have? And so you say, okay, well, what do you mean by that? And sort of ask them to rephrase it or, Mm. you know, what specifically is scaring you? You know, are you feeling scared? You just try to sort of tease it out through essentially asking the same question. Multiple times. And sometimes, yeah, eventually you're going to find out like, oh, they're worried that they're not going to be able to get driven to soccer practice because of gas prices, or there's not going to be enough food for dinner, or, you know, there's some very specific thing that they're worried about. And once you can get to that, you know, you're in a much better place in terms of being able to answer the question, hopefully in a way that appeases their immediate concerns while also being honest and accurate about it. But that can be, you know, a much more helpful interaction with your kid than just sort of responding to a big question in the way that you think they might mean
1: it. Which gets back to your first point about taking cues from the kids, right? Right. Like always go back to that first point if you ever don't know what to do. Exactly, yeah. And so your fifth point was it's important to appease kids' concerns, but still taking them seriously. Tell me what you mean by that. Yeah, the most crucial thing is if your child is feeling unsafe
0: in some way, some immediate way, then you do want to find a way to make them feel safe because that is ultimately what they need the most is to feel safe. So if it is a very specific concern, like I won't be able to go to soccer practice and you talk through, you know, yes, gas prices have been going up and that's, you know, not great. And certainly for some families, it's a much bigger burden than for others, but we're going to be okay. We can still take you to soccer practice, even if gas prices are high. So you you want to address that particular concern while also though, making sure that they feel validated for having that concern, that you're not sort mm-hmm. of dismissing it and saying, oh no, you're totally wrong. That's ridiculous. You, you don't want to react in this dismissive, oh, that's a so silly sort of way because that's undermining their emotional experience and you're just rejecting what their fear is. And that's not very helpful or very healthy for them. You can say though, we're going to be okay, but it completely makes sense that you're concerned about this. A lot of people are concerned about this and here's why it's an important issue to care about. And so you're both making them feel safe and appeasing their concerns while also validating those concerns in some way and saying, you know what, you are right to feel this way. It is okay to feel this way. It's understandable why you're worried about this. It is an issue, but we're going to be okay.
1: You know, as part of that, I really like that one of the experts you talked to talked about being the helper versus saying, look for the helpers. Mm-hmm. You know, we always talk about how making a donation or writing a card or doing something positive can help kids feel more in control and like they are doing something about it. I was really glad to see that included in the article.
0: Yeah, well, another really 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 great way to help kids who are feeling worried and anxious is to give them the sense of agency. Mm. And if your child is concerned about how say gas prices are going to affect people or how children in the Ukraine are doing or whatever it is that they might be feeling to come up with ways that, you know, they can make a difference can be very, very powerful. So that could be giving to charities. And you know, with my kids, they have their allowance split into save and spend and give jars. And so, you know, we talk about, well, who should we give our give money to and how can we make a difference and help the world right? now. And that gives them the sense of agency. It's also communicating to your child, the importance of thinking about other people, even if you're safe, you know, so many people right now aren't. So let's do something with our privilege to help other people right now, you know, and that's just Mm. a powerful message to be sending. And you're modeling this compassionate and kind behavior, which is so, so powerful for kids. So I think that is a wonderful way both to be teaching these bigger lessons and also helping your kids, you know, work through this anxiety and feel some sense of control.
1: And then, you know, finally, I just wanted to touch on this idea which was not in the article, but I think it kind of goes back to your book about raising kids who will be kind, healthy, productive adults. And one thing I've noticed, I mean, I think a lot of people have noticed is that there's been a lot of racist or racially insensitive at best coverage in the news. Newscasters saying things like, wow, we've never seen this in our lifetime. And I'm thinking Yemen, Rwanda, Syria, (laughs) Afghanistan, right? Mm -hmm. Where they're saying like, oh my gosh, we can't even believe this is happening here. It seems to be like the difference between seeing white western quote unquote looking people evacuating versus black and brown people in other countries and you know that's really hurtful and i'm imagining that black and brown kids will be far more attuned to those kinds of comments and I'm more teens you know older kids than maybe white kids and so i think it's also kind of important to have those analytical critical media discussions with kids so that they can be aware of those kinds of prejudices that creep in inadvertently into coverage and I'm just wondering how you see that or how you might initiate those kinds of conversations. So that is a type of
0: conversation that I have with my kids a lot where there's something that's happened, whether it's in our community or in the school or in the world that illustrates some kind of stereotypical or racist thinking. And also if it happens in like a movie or a book we're reading, basically what I do is I will like kind of press pause on whatever we're doing and bring it up and have a conversation with my kids about it. So I can imagine at dinner tonight talking about some of the comments that you were talking about and saying hey you know have you heard anything about this happening and again we want to be careful that you feel like you can have these conversations with your kids that they feel appropriate with my kids I know you know they're not super anxious about what's going on they're in a place where I feel like I can have this conversation and it's not going to really stress them out but to say like I heard so-and-so said something today that was covered in the news and you know what do you think about that kind of comment and just sort of try to draw it out and have a conversation with kids about you know here's why this is racist and inaccurate and just reflects ignorance in a way of what's been going on in so many parts of the world and how many people have been affected by war. I I think of those as like opportunities to be teaching your kids values and to be teaching them perspective about the world and to make sure that they're always sort of checking their privilege. And I think of them as learning moments. I mean, it's terrible that they're happening. (laughs) Don't get me wrong, Like, but we can use them in a way for good if we talk to our kids about them and then ensure that they can kind of learn from them.
1: I mean, yeah, look, we always say we want to raise our kids to do better than we did. And I think everything that we're talking about right here is a perfect example of helping them make that happen because this is horrendous and I hope that their generation can do better. We tried. We tried kids. I'm sorry that it came to this. Um, yeah. So Melinda, you are so helpful always about all things. And by the way, your book still remains like one of my favorites. I recommend it to people all the time. Also, it's kind of a little lighter and more enjoyable than maybe this conversation. But tell me, where else can we find you? If people want to get more info, where are you on the socials these days? So the simplest place to find me is my website,
0: which is melindawennermoyer.com. I have a newsletter that comes out at least once a week where I'm answering parents' questions with science and sort of using science to give advice. Um, So I'm definitely talking about things like this on my newsletter. I also have links to my Instagram and my Twitter there. And of course, there's purchase links for my book. So that's probably the easiest place to find me.
1: Terrific. And of course, there's the article in the New York Times simply called How to Talk to Your Kids About Ukraine. Very easily searchable. (laughs) So listen, let's lighten things up a little bit. It's time for Cool Books of the Week cool picks of the week. Melinda, I'd love to hear what's cool for you this week. Okay, so it's funny because I'm like, it's not super light, but we've been
0: watching this new TV show, Severance. I don't know if you've heard about it. I
1: have, (laughs) but I haven't seen it.
0: Okay, I mean, it's intense, but it's really, really good. It stars Adam Scott, who I love, and it's like, I I don't want to give away the premise, really. It's sort of a little bit sci-fi, a dystopian future in which there's, I'm not going to give away, but stuff happening that's like really compelling and really weird, but really, really well done. And the acting is very good. And just the premise is like, it really kind of makes you think about like, could this happen in our society one day? Like it's kind of possible that it could. And so I'm just loving it. I like
1: dystopian shows. I know a lot of people don't, but you know, go yeah. back to the idea of kids sharing memes because it's their way of coping. I think, mm-hmm. I mean, from what I've read, when you read or look at dystopian shows that it, it's cathartic yeah. for adults, like it helps us kind of get out all that stuff in a fictional way. So it's kind of healthy. So I get it. And by the way, I'm looking right now, Severance on Rotten Tomatoes has a 97% rating. Yeah. So people love it. It's really, really good. It's it's (laughs) too (laughs) cute. So here's another thing. Speaking of looking for the helpers, I want to give a shout out to my friend Farah, who has an Etsy shop called Nas NAAZ Design Co. She makes really lovely, affordable earrings. And she actually has a whole series called the Sunflower Collection. We featured them on our site this week and they've been selling like crazy, she tells me, because 100% of her sunflower earrings are going to support Ukraine. So I will leave a link to that in the Cool Mom Picks podcast category. You can find it right there. But again, it's Nas Design, NAAZ on Etsy. And look at the sunflower earrings for Ukraine. They're super sweet. They're under $20. They're lightweight polymer clay. They're so cute. And in fact, we've got an entire post about Etsy artists who are making things to give 100% to legit causes in Ukraine. And I just love how people think, well, I can't solve all the problems of the world, but here's one thing I can do. And so if I can't make earrings, I can buy earrings. Yeah. (laughs) So I hope other people will check it out as well. Thank you so much, Melinda. You are such a fount of information. You're so helpful. And I'm just really glad you were able to come on and join us today to talk about something that so many parents are struggling with. So thank you. Thank you so much. And thanks for talking about this. It's such an important topic. And thanks to our listeners for joining us for another episode of Spawned. Huge thanks to our awesome engineer, John Bowen, and of course to our terrific guest, Melinda Wenner-Moyer. If you've got a moment and you can leave us a five-star review, if you like what we're doing here, we would greatly appreciate your time by doing that. Also by subscribing, by downloading our episodes, it really helps other listeners like you find us. And for that, we are grateful. You can also join us in our Spawned podcast community on Facebook, where we chat about the show show topics, pretty much anything else you'd like to talk about. We're on the socials a whole lot. Kristen has been totally doing it up on Cool Mom Picks Instagram stories, getting lots of interesting comments from people about all kinds of things that they want to hear about. And I tend to be on the Twitters more often, so you can find us there. You pick your social medium of choice, we will find you back. Thank you so much for listening to Spawn. This is Liz. Kristen will be back next week. Have a great day. Stay safe out there. Bye.